Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Please visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Tom Kay. Hi, I'm Tom Kay, and I'm a compulsive reader. Um, Jen, thank you for asking me to share tonight. And um, I'm just going to jump right in. I, I have some notes here. Um, I, I want to do a good job doing this, and um, the reason for that is because I care about my recovery, and I want to impart something if I can. You know, if there's something that I have that I can impart, I hope I'm able to do that. So my top weight was 225 pounds. I have maintained a 35-pound weight loss for more than 10 years, um, and, and I was heavy, you know, from the time I was in high school up until about 10 years ago, and I'm I'm currently 56, uh, going on 57. <clears throat> At one point, it was a 50-pound weight loss. Um, but after getting into recovery, it sort of creeped back up a little bit. And um, I talk about that. Um, I try not to make too big a deal of it. Um, I do not weigh myself compulsively um, currently. I, I have done that in the past. Um, and I, I'm focusing on not so much my weight although the weight is an indication, unfortunately, of our spiritual condition, um, or my spiritual condition. I came into Overeaters Anonymous in 2006, um, <clears throat> and I, I came in as a, as a, as a non-believer or an unbeliever. Um, this has been, I, I'm, I'm in five um, 12-step programs. Um, In one of them, I don't currently go to meetings, but I have a sponsor that I call regularly. That's Al-Anon. I'm an Al-Anon dropout or, um, you know, I I failed. I was, I flunked out of Al-Anon. But um, when I first got in, I was very, uh, I'm very hypercritical and and extremely judgmental. and my first thought was, um, wait a minute, you get to pick your own abstinence? And, and I just, I was ridiculing that idea internally. And then I, I got a sponsor fairly quickly. Um, my first sponsor was Carl, who, you know, moved to Florida. I, I don't remember his last initial, Carl K., really tall, thin guy who went to kitchen sink on a regular basis. And he counseled me to set an abstinence that, that was easier. Um, and I thought, that's a great idea. Uh, I, I see where you're going with this. I can do that. And we talked about my eating habits. One of the things that has always plagued me is eating in the evening. When, when my body is tired, my brain tells me that I'm hungry. And it, it's that way today. You know, and I... I it's not a part of my abstinence today, but I, I, I try to refrain from eating at night. Sometimes I, I go to a lot of meetings, and especially at, in the evening, and sometimes I'll come home and I'm just kind of like in, on a high, you know, from the good feeling from the meeting and, and very tired as well, and, and I'll be convinced that I'm starving. And, you know, if I just go to bed, when I wake up the next morning, 
I'm not even hungry, so I'm pretty sure I wasn't starving like <laughs> 10 hours before that. Um, so in any case, the, the suggestion was to set a time after which I wouldn't eat. And my first sponsor suggested 9 p.m. And, and just to be cautious, I said, let's make it 9.30. Um, I, I could have said midnight, you know, and I, I, I would probably still be absent by that today. Um, I don't recommend that. I don't recommend that idea of just doing as little as possible just to be able to claim abstinence. But um, it, here's how it went. I had nine months of abstinence from not eating past 9.30. Um, I was on vacation. Um, it was a very stressful vacation. Um, my wife and I and then her two daughters from two prior marriages, you know, one of whom was 22 at the time, we're vacationing on Orcas Island, and we're on a budget, and we're all staying in the same room. And uh, the 22-year-old was in the mode of, um, I hate you, Mom, and here's why. <laughs> and, and, and she would have, like, sort of crying uh, drama fits at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm on vacation. I mean, come on. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I, I, I wasn't super close to, uh, to Kate, and I, I didn't feel like it would be appropriate to say, hey, can we save this for the morning? So, you know, I just sort of, I seed, you know, I, I'm, I'm awake. I'm, I, I, there's nothing I could do. I didn't have anything to do with it. I wasn't involved, thank God. Um, but eventually, you know, we, uh, and then we had a, a younger kid that my wife and I raised together. Uh, I think she was 16 at the time. And eventually we left Orcas. It was a nightmare. Uh, that's a great vacation where your vacation is a nightmare. <laughs> and we went down to Berkeley where Kate was, I think she had just graduated, and, and she took our younger daughter, um, smoked, smoked weed with her, which we were very happy about. Um, you know, she had, she had custody and control of our 16-year-old. Uh, so she and, and her girlfriend, she's a lesbian, and our 16-year-old daughter went off and, and did whatever they did. And, and we just had time to ourselves. And that's when, like, the real vacation began. And I was just like, thank God. You know, I, I'm, I'm a Roman Catholic, and my whole life I thought of myself as a, a family man. I realized that when the, when the kids were out of the house and the, and the feeling was just like, it was ecstasy. There's no <laughs> kids here. I thought, you know, maybe I'm not a family man, you know. Um, so I was very happy when they all went away. And my wife and I were, you know, staying in a hotel in Berkeley and not bothering the kids, and they weren't bothering us. And we, we always wanted to go to Chez Panisse. So we tried to get a reservation, which, of course, you can't in the, in the downstairs, but we were able to get a reservation in the upstairs. We got a reservation for 11 p.m. I, we're at a table. I'm, I'm sitting there eating, like, a pork tenderloin with fennel, and it's, like, 11.30 at that point, and... And, and thoroughly enjoying it, by the way. And then I thought, oh, darn it. Oh, crap. That was, this was my, that, this was my abstinence. And it's like, that's a pretty crystal clear abstinence. I mean, and it was, it was, you know, Pacific time. You know, 9.30 p.m. Pacific time. There was just no way I could get out of it. And, and I thought, okay, all right, that's fine. Maybe this super easy, you know, abstinence is, is not the way to do it. And one of the things that started to occur to me is I, I didn't just want to change my food. I wanted to change myself. 
And I also wanted to have more of a serious commitment. So on this same vacation, while we were on Orcas Island, this is, this is, um, uh, this is Christmas 2006 going into January 2007. So I've got about 10 years. Um, we were at, an, at a nice restaurant on Orcas Island, uh, Christina's. I think it's, it's gone out of business. It's no longer there. And the older daughter, Kate, who's a, I, I call her a drama person. She actually has a degree in theater arts, so she's like literally, <laughs> literally a drama person. Um, and, and, and she has sort of spent her life trying to um, deflate feminist stereotypes uh, or, or stereotypes of what it means to be feminine. And one of the ways she did that was she cultivated the skill of belching loud and long. Um, I mean, and this is a 22-year-old. I mean, you know, I, I could see it in junior high. So we're at this very nice restaurant and, you know, there's kind of a lull in the conversation and she just lets loose with this belch that just was, it was deafening and it was like two or three seconds long. I wasn't expecting it. You know, I'm still kind of getting to know Kate. Um, this is my introduction to my new family. Um, you know, very, these are crazy people. These are my people. I, I found my tribe. But um, I was mortified, or at least, at least I knew I should be mortified. And, and the first thing I thought was, and, and, and this, is, this is where recovery has really um, kicked in for me, I used to care tremendously what other people thought about me. Tremendously. Even people who were strangers, complete strangers, even people who were sitting in this dining room in an island, you know, on the Puget Sound, who I would most likely never meet again. But I cared. I cared at that time. And it's been such a relief, such a tremendous relief not to care anymore what people think. I just get to be who I am. I do the best I can. But at that time, I wasn't there and I was mortified and really concerned that it would, it would reflect poorly on me. It was okay if it reflected poorly on Kate. I thought that was appropriate. I thought she, it, she should be, you know, judged and castigated. But I, not me. And, you know, I mean, I was, you know, I was raised to believe that, you know, in, in, when you're in a family, you all sort of represent each other. And if one family member is sort of a screw-up, it, it, it brings, you know, Dis, disrepute on the family. So she does this thing just out of the blue and, and I kind of turn like this just to like see if anyone's, if anyone has, has seen us or heard it. And this like 80 year old lady who's wearing this like fine, you know, like evening gown, you know, probably like old wealth looks at me like, oh, you know, and I immediately realized she thought I did. <laughs> and, and there I was, I was trapped and I, the first thought that came to my head was I should get up and walk over to her and explain the whole thing. This is my, this is my stepdaughter from my wife's first marriage. She's a drama student. I'm so sorry. Um, but I realized that if I did that, she would just assume I was lying to try to cover up the fact that I had belched. Um, but in any case... The, the thing that was significant about that dinner besides the belch was, and, and, the, and the mortification and the embarrassment, the humiliation, was that I decided at that dinner, and this was a big deal for me, and I did this without sponsor consultation, which I do not recommend, 
Um, I've now learned basically just to do everything through sponsor consultation. But I decided to change my um, abstinence going forward when I got back from the vacation to no pastries. And I, I you know, I thought that was amazing. I thought that was just like, you know, I mean, I, I, I wanted a parade. I've always wanted parades. You know, every time... I do the smallest thing, I have in my mind the idea of like, you know, Fifth Avenue and like confetti and ticker tape and, you know, bands and, you know, standing ovations. But, um, you know, so I, I decided I, I'm not, so not going to eat cakes and pies and cookies and all those things, which, you know, I, I had just, it was my, you know, my, my life's blood. Um, and, and, I, and I have not done that. I have not done that, you know, in you know, more than 10 years. On January 5th of this year, it was 10 years. And then about five years ago, I uh, switched to um, no recreational sugar. So, you know, I have a very sort of technical, um, I think clever, but it's in fact not clever way of thinking about things. It's very, very literal. So, I mean, to me, pastries means pastry. So when I, my afternoon was no pastries, you know, ice cream is not a pastry. <laughs> and, you know, puddings are not a pastry. So I thought, you know, I, I can do that every once in a while. And I did. And my sponsor knew about it. Um, I, I changed sponsors. I, you know, I actually, I'm not really following my, my guide here. And I wanted it to be coherent. And I, I can see now that it's not going to be coherent at all. Um, but I, I'll just tell you, if you can't tell by looking at me, I'm, I'm Irish, or at least part Irish, and I have a very Irish name. And uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a genetic sort of disability because many people in this group are extremely uh, sensitive to addictive substances. And I'm one of those people. And everybody in my family is one of those people. Um, I, I'm, my, my younger sister at one point was carrying around her own breathalyzer, you know, just to make sure she was not so drunk that she would, you know, get a DUI when she was, you know, leaving the house. Um, but in any case, the, the reason I mentioned that is because it, it allowed me to sort of think about food in a totally different way. I mean, I, my, my mind was, you know, alcohol, bad, you know, drugs, bad, food, good. And, and that was it. That was the end of the analysis. Um, food equals comfort. Food equals life, really. I mean, food equals life. And then, really, the most important thing is food equals love. And I took all of those things and sort of incorporated them into my consciousness and then proceeded to use food from, from a very early age just to deal with my sort of innate insecurity about everything, about life. I mean, I, I, and it, wow, it really works well. And, you know, when I was young and I stayed active, it, it didn't, you know, make too much of a difference. I mean, I, I, I didn't think that it really mattered. When I was 225 pounds... I didn't think that it mattered. I didn't feel, you know, I didn't feel the pressure like maybe that women do to like be slim, you know, for like fashion or whatever. I thought it was okay to be a, a bigger guy. In fact, I actually thought there was an advantage to it. 
because, you know, then you could, like, push people around, you know, because you had weight, you know. Um, so I, when, I, when, I, when I got into the sort of dynamic of, of losing weight, you know, my heart really wasn't in it. You know, I, I actually started losing weight before I got to OA and, and lost 50 pounds before I got to OA. I was supporting my wife who was trying to lose weight as well, I think. I'm not sure if she's actually trying to lose weight, but we were going to this thing together where the goal was to lose weight, and then I just followed their rules, and, and I lost 50 pounds, which I didn't think was even possible. I didn't think I was even overweight to begin with, but I really liked the way I felt, you know? I mean, like I had more energy, I, I, my thinking was clearer, um, but, you know, I still obsessed about food day and night. So we decided to come to some OA meetings, my wife and I together, and she's, you know, she left more than a decade ago, and, and I stuck around, you know. Mainly the focus on, you know, losing the obsession, also having structure, having accountability. Um, you know, I think like many of you, but I'll just speak for myself, I ate to block out my feelings, to block out reality. Um, I didn't get a toolkit. My family of origin was, you know, it was like growing up in a circus, you know. I mean, you know, you just, you know, when it was your turn to come on, you, you went, you did your, you know, your juggling or whatever your act was, and then when it was done, you went back to the tents, you know, where the circus workers go, and nobody really cared what you did, you know. And, and our parent circus workers made it crystal clear that they did not care what we did as long as they didn't look bad and we didn't get in trouble, which would make them look bad. Um, so I, I got the, you know, the message very, very early on, very clearly that, you know, as long as I could get away with it, it was okay. And, and I, I really, um, I practiced the craft of getting away with things. Um, all the moms liked me. Um, but if they had actually known, um, they wouldn't have. So, um, I never spoke to anyone about my feelings about food. Um, I was very naive. You know, even though I had a lot of freedom as a as a younger person, um, I, I was just I was very naive. I was very needy and clingy. You know, I, I I got I had a girlfriend as a sophomore in high school and just always you know sort of clung to her. And then when she went to college, I found somebody else to cling to. And and then I married that person, which was was a huge mistake. Oh my God! Um, and and the whole time, food is just like always there. You know, it's like sort of having a radio going on in the background with static, and it's pretty loud static. You know, like people are maybe screaming or, you know, the, the bill collector is knocking on the door or some other, like, traumatic thing is happening, but you can't really hear it because of the static. That's what food did for me, and it worked really well. Um, so I'm not following my list here at all. Did all of this. Um, so I wanted to just briefly talk about um, thoughts about the steps because um, I, I, I have been blessed with the best blank ING sponsors. The best. I, I just and I don't know why I didn't I didn't deserve it. I didn't try for it. I think it's just luck. I, I'm an atheist. You know, I, I don't, I never say, oh, that's a God shot, you know. In fact, I, I don't even like that idea, but something's, something's out there. I don't know what it is. 
and, and maybe it's just luck, but thank God for sponsors. And thank God that I didn't have the, the, um, the energy, I guess, to try to work around having a sponsor. I mean, if, if you listen, you know, even like half-heartedly, it's hard to conceive of a way to work any sort of program without a sponsor. I, I think there are people who are able to convince themselves that that can be done. But my first sponsor just said to me, you go to a meeting to feel better. You work the steps to get better. Do you understand? I was like, yeah, yeah, I get that. You want me to work the steps? I mean, one thing that I've always been able to do is follow direction. I've, I don't know why. I've always been able to follow direction. It's usually been bad direction. Um, you know, but when I finally found the right people to listen to and I did what they said, it just made a huge difference. Um, so for me, step one is about honesty. And, you know, I was beaten just beaten down when I came in here. You know, I didn't have much uh, pride left. So, basically, when I come in, I, I admit that there's something wrong with me. I used to, I mean, for, for a short period of time, I didn't like saying all these things that we say at these meetings. Um, and now it means nothing to me. It's, if anything, it's a badge of honor. There are so many people out there who are what we are, and they, they don't know it because they're, they're, they're not honest. So that's step one, honesty, and particularly self-honesty. Self-honesty I have found to be phenomenally tricky. Um, I mean, it's just something that, you know, I, I, I sometimes say the first step is always at play. Always. It's never resolved. There's always a potential first step issue um, and I, 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 found, I felt it myself. I've seen it in other people. I mean, what happens is we start to get better, and then we are better, a lot better, and then we, we don't have a lot of contact, and then we think, oh, I'm better. And then we think, now how did I get better? It was me. I got me better. And then you go from there to I'm not, you know, fill in the blank anymore. And one of the things about my brain is I forget so quickly. I, I have a morning ritual. I'm going to preempt whoever will ask that question. Um, and, and I, even though I'm not, not religious, I mean, I'm, I'm, I have a religious training by, by, by birth, um, but I don't practice any religion, and I'm, I don't have any religious tendencies, um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm deeply, deeply atheist uh, in the sense of a, of a sort of a defined God or a noble God. I mean, it, the idea that there's something powerful out there, of course. I mean, the universe is expanding at the speed of light. I mean, that's a no-brainer. There's something powerful out there. And if you do these steps, you will get better. And it's because of something out there? Absolutely. No, no question about it. But I get down on my knees. I get, and I get down on my knees every single morning without fail. I mean, if I'm traveling, if I'm on vacation, you know, if there's a 22-year-old who was crying in the middle of the night, you know, whatever the circumstance, you know, if there's not carpeting, I have to, like, put my knees on, like, cold, crappy, you know, vinyl in a cheap hotel room or motel room or something. Whatever it is, I'm on my knees, and I don't, and, and I push that on people that I sponsor. And I, I, t- I tend to get a lot of, non-believers, which I think makes sense as sponsees. Um, and they're like, what? what? 
what? But, I, you know, it, I do it because it works, and I do it in part because I heard it from people, you know, mainly at Kitchen Sink, you know, sharing from the podium. People that I could tell had something. They had something that was different. They had something that I wanted. Um, people that I knew were probably not religious. Um, so I started doing that. I haven't done it for the whole 10 years, but I've done it rigorously, even zealously, um, diligently for you know, probably seven or eight of the ten years that I've been abstinent in Overeaters Anonymous. And then I read, I don't say, but I read the third step prayer. And every single morning, it just amazes me how those ideas, those simple words, seem like a revelation to me. Every single morning. I mean, 24 hours has passed, I slept, and it's like somebody pressed the reset button. I'm like, oh... Offer myself to thee, to build with me, and to do with me as thou wilt. I mean, just having the word wilt in there is just great. Look for, look for other, you know, language that has the word wilt in it. You'll have a hard time finding it. But, you know, I mean, I know it, but I read it, and then I, and then I read the seven-step prayer, and then I read On Awakening to the end of chapter six. Um, you know, it's just like, and then, I, and then I meditate. I don't do it that as rigorously, but I do it almost every morning, probably, you know, 340 out of the 365 days in a year. Uh, and then I almost always have a good day. I have an abstinent day, but, but I also have not just physical sobriety, I'm more likely to have emotional sobriety. Um, I'm more likely to be at peace. Um, so, and then I'm going to go on briefly to, to uh, step two, and I will greatly speed up the pace of this. Um, so to me, step two is about hope. Uh, hope that there is a solution, and, 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 and I have found that there is. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm living proof that there is a solution. But when I came in, I didn't know. You know, if you're new, uh, be, be skeptical. You know, just as long as you do the stuff that you're told to do, you will get recovery. I mean, I, I, I have participated in programs where I have thought uh, almost rebelliously, this is BS, this won't work, this doesn't even make any sense, and still did the things that I was asked to do, and, and it did work. I mean, and it works every single time. Um, the reason we come back is so that we can show the people that are new that there's hope. And just like when I first started coming to Kitchen Sink, you know, I would see Terrell, Michael Blanc, you know, um, Randy Z, who's moved away, Carl. I mean, people, people with 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, some of these guys wouldn't even say anything. But they just had something. They, there was something emanating from them. I could feel it. And I thought, okay, it's possible. And usually the way my brain works is I think... It's possible for them. It's not going to work for me. Um, but that's step three. Step two. Step three is faith. And for me, the faith is just faith in the process, faith in the program, faith in the 12 steps. Um, I'm, I'm getting more involved in service in some fellowships. I'm, I'm getting exposed to the concepts of service. Um, I, I have a sponsor in another program who's going through the traditions with me. I try to apply the traditions to my marriage. Um, I think you can apply, apply the traditions to any relationship 
and any group of people. And what it sort of boils down to is if I, when I was in my disease, I was scared and alone and reacting in ways that were destructive to myself and hurtful to others. And I just created a cycle. And then in recovery, what I get to do is I get to look around and ask, who, who needs help? Who could use a hand? You know, who wants to, you know, work the steps? Um, I will say I, I've had very poor luck in this fellowship getting sponsees. Um, I, I currently have one sponsee, um, and, and I got him mainly because I was sharing at another meeting, and I shared that I don't have any sponsees. <laughs> and I, I, I got a fair number of, you know, sympathy invitations. Um, and, and I've had sponsees in the past. Um, I, I had a couple of sponsees in this room. I, I saw coming to this room a couple of years ago. Um, and, and mostly they, they just disappeared. Um, I mean, completely. I... I I mean, I was warning people off from taking me on as a sponsor, you know, because the experience was that I sponsored these guys and then they just vanished. I don't know what happened to them. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I, I haven't been, I, I have better sponsorship experiences in other, uh, in other 12-step fellowships, but it, the idea of it is all the same. I mean, I'm focused on, you know, giving back. Um, step four is such a killer um, this says courage here, um, but I think step four is really about sort of diligence and fortitude and, and willpower, you know, just having to push through it. Um, and I, I push through it and I, I push people to push through it or encourage them. Um, you know, anyone, I think step four is the, is the step that separates, you know, the successes in recovery from everybody else. And, and I, I don't know, there's no data. I mean, I'd love to study 12-step culture, you know, like take surveys and whatnot. But, you know, my best guess is that the percentage of people that have completed a fifth step in recovery is well less than half of the people that have shown up. And, you know, when they say at the end, you know, it works if you work it, um, they're talking about the steps. <laughs> um, just a reminder. Um, and I say that in a, in a, in a loving, non-shaming way. Um, step six, you know, willingness to admit that we're not, you know, that we're not perfect. You know, we have character defects. Step seven, humility, you know, to be able to, to be able to allow the greater power, the big power up there, um, to, to change us according to that plan. And that's, you know, like a lot of people say, you know, my character defect of blank isn't being removed. And I always think like step seven doesn't say that you get to choose, you know, what gets removed or when it gets removed. And sometimes I, it's been my experience that things that I think might be a character defect end up, you know, serving the great power. You know, I mean, it's all focused on service. So what are the defects, like the seven-step prayer, you know, remove from me all the defects that keep me from being service, you know, maximum service to my fellows. So you've got to be humble to be able to, like, say, okay, you do what you will with me, you know, take away the things that I think are cool, you know, and, and, and leave me with all the, the stuff that I'm, I'm not so interested in. Um, <laughs> you know, whatever that is. 
Um, you know, eight and nine, making the list and making amends, it, it, that is transformational. That is just transformational. Um, and, and that's also a function, I think, more than anything else, of good sponsorship. I don't know. I can't imagine how somebody could do a, a, a good, effective ninth step without sponsor oversight. And in my experience, it's been a scripted. I wrote it out. I read it to my sponsor. Changes were suggested. You know, in every case that I've done it, I've tried to deliver it face-to-face. I, I made a, a, an amends to my younger daughter. She's not my biological daughter, but she's my daughter because I raised her, and I love her, and she loves me. But when she was in high school, I was a tyrant to her because she wasn't a good student. And, and I just rode her, and she hated it, and she hated me, and I realized it was destroying our relationship, and I made an amends to her, and, and basically what I said was, I have seen the harm that I'm doing, and, I'm, and I'm, I've changed. That's the, a big part of the message in step nine. You're saying, I have changed, and I'm making a commitment to no longer shame you about, you know, whatever you do or don't do in school. Uh, she used to drive me crazy. I'm very competitive, and I was very good in school. And she would go in for tests, and she, she didn't know that there was going to be a test. So she hadn't prepared at all. And I was just trying to say, oh, okay, okay, you have a calendar. And I'm sure at some point the teacher says, we're going to have a test next Tuesday. That's like a clue, you know. <laughs> you could use that information to your advantage. And I'll bet you all the other kids are. Um, you can only imagine and, and I knew that was a good amends because, because I read it you know, in front of her and when I was done she said could I get a copy of that <laughs> um, step 10 perseverance um, step 10 is the sort of thing where you know, I think it almost has to be done on a daily basis sometimes it's done internally my, my sponsor in this program um, I call him Monday through Friday you know, because I'm trying to be rigor- rigorously honest, I'd like to say every day. It's so much easier on the work days because, you know, he's a teacher and I know, like, at 7.20 he's going to be in his car and that works perfectly for me. And on the weekends it's just, it's harder to reach him and I, I, I've gotten the habit of doing it Monday through Friday. But, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a part of my sort of daily consciousness to, like, check in, say the things that I'm resentful about, frequently resentful at myself, say the things that I'm afraid of, and, you know, say the things that I'm grateful for, and that, that's a, a big deal. Um, step 11 is just prayer and meditation. And then step 12 is why, why we're here. I didn't know that when I got here, but step 12 is why we're here. You know, to carry the message, to manifest recovery, you know, to manifest peace, you know, happiness. I mean, I'm happy. I don't know if it's, if it, if it's showing, but... I'm I'm really, really happy. I mean, I've got a great marriage, a great, sane, serene marriage. I mean, my wife's in recovery, too. Um, I mean, if you knew about, if you knew, like, the real raw details of me and my history, you would think there's no way that guy could be in a functional relationship without a miracle, you know. And I've had the miracle, uh, and I'm in a functional relationship, and it's an awesome relationship, and, you know, the, I've got two kids by a prior marriage and two stepkids, and I can say with confidence that almost none of them hates me <laughs> currently. Um, and, and that's recovery. Um, 
And I think I will, I will end with that. So, I think I have a few minutes left if somebody wants to ask a question. Tiana? Thanks, Tom. Um, you mentioned in the beginning about how uh, getting that kind of high from eating and also going home tired was a trigger for you. What does self-care look like to prevent the, the tiredness of all you know, that's a great question, and it's not was, it's is. I mean, oh, the question was, I mentioned coming home from meetings in the evening, having kind of a high and being tired, and then having that equate to, you know, like wanting to eat. Um, what I do is, if I'm going to engage in self-care. I mean, I still have the debate in my head, should I engage in self-care? You know, I mean, it's still like, it's still like on the... You know, it's, it's, it's on the table. You know, there's still sort of a discussion going on. But, you know, when I answer that question in the affirmative, what it looks like is I get out of the kitchen. Um, our kitchen is like a galley kitchen, and it's like it, it's there as soon as you come in the door. And then our little dog is there, and, you know, the dog is always so happy to see me when, when I come home. I mean, I mean, he, has, he hasn't seen me for like three hours, or she has a she, Missy. But she acts like, you know, like it's been like years. I mean, she, she just she, the sounds that she makes. And, I, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this dog loves me. And then, and then I'm tired. And I just came from a great meeting. And I turn to the kitchen. And there's more love, you know. <laughs> so it, basically self-care is like getting, you know, getting out of the kitchen. Like I, I go to the bedroom. Um, um, you know, my, my personal opinion is that I, I will always be compulsive. So I, I try to focus my compulsive tendencies towards things that are either less harmful, you know, like reading the news, like I do that as an alternative, like instead of eating, or, or things that are actually productive, like, you know, my, my professional life. My professional life has just exploded in recovery, um, you know, because I have time and energy and focus. Thank you.